Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Hello, Jonathan. Good to be back. So, as usual, we have a, a number of equities that we're going to be discussing later on in the podcast, but we will start off with touching on markets, uh, particularly uh, the major indices uh, around the world. So, I mean, Alan, looking at the FTSE 100, relatively flat, we, we have seen a, a push higher towards uh, the beginning of the week and the end of last week. However, we're still relatively range-bound um, you know, at current levels, we're not seeing uh, the volatility that we've become accustomed to over the past uh, year. I mean, much of this is is down to um, you know hopes around the uh, the reopening of the global economy as vaccines are, have rolled out. But there, there is an element I, I feel, Alan, that we we've seen a, a strong rally that's largely priced in in the short term. Uh, any positivity or a lot of the positivity that we we could see uh, in a reopening and what that means for for equities. So, I mean, looking at, um, you know, what the market's done, and and I think sort of speaking to people out there, there is concerns now coming in um, to markets. Um, We saw, of course, that the rising bond yields uh, derail the uh, equity market, Mm. uh, the tech rally, um, over in U.S. equity markets, that's that's died down now, and we're starting to see names such as Tesla, Amazon, and, and Apple move up to uh, to highs again. But I think that there's a more uh, you know, deep seated concern out there, Alan, that, that there's simply too much money sloshing around in these markets at the moment due to uh, high levels of um, quantitative easing. Um, we've of course got. The meeting with the Federal Reserve and uh, the, the results from that uh, this evening, which is going to be interesting to see what their views are on uh, the economy. One of the other things that's going to be very interesting with this, Alan, is the, the views on, on interest rates. And I just want to get your view here uh, as well. I mean, th- there is a school of thought out there that we're going to see uh, a level of inflation when economies truly do open up again which could cause um, sharp increases in rates uh, and obviously real rates uh, in the economy, which could derail any further expansion. I mean, is this something that that you would be concerned about at this point in time if you were a a holder of of blue chip equities? Or do you think that the central banks are going to be standing ready to pump more money into the system? And in actual fact, they're going to hold off for as long as possible before they start to amend interest rates to the upside, I, I think yeah, I think it's uh, it's always a balancing act, isn't it? You, on the one hand, you have um, you have the threat of inflation. We've seen rising bond yields uh, signal signal that, and of course, a correction in the market and um, uh, a big correction in in technology stocks. But on the other hand, um, you've got global economies coming out of this COVID crisis. Um, company staff um, and and uh, employees have been on furlough schemes, and of course now these people return to work, and these people still have 
borrowings, they still have mortgages, they still have bills to pay. Um, and any any uh, sharp increase in interest rates is is going to act as a double whammy because, of course, some companies won't survive the the COVID crisis. They'll come out of the they'll come out of uh, or the the furlough scheme will end and they'll come out of it and their business will either have gone or be dramatically reduced. So, of course, uh, they will go to the wall. So, um, I think there's uh, I think the governments will look at it and they'll take the decision to continue supporting the economy simply because there's uh, um, any exposure of the population to sharp interest rate increases um, will, I think, derail any recovery uh, completely. We've, I think in time, there will be interest rate increases, but um, the governments around the world will need to see how this recovery progresses, because it will be shaky, make no mistake about it. You know, once furlough schemes are withdrawn and we get back to, we try to get back to normality, it will be a shaky process and we will see further market corrections as we go forward. So those actions, they may well come at some, at some point, but I don't expect any change in interest rates in the near term. I simply expect, uh, uh, and of course, markets currently waiting on the US Fed decision this evening um, uh, on monetary policy going forward. And I expect to see continued support, certainly from the US government and the UK government and governments across Europe and around the world. So when we're looking at equity markets now, Alan, do, I mean, do you think it, it, it's simply uh, a story of don't fight the Fed? Um, you know, if they come out this evening and say, we're going to continue uh, with our asset purchase program, um, we're not going to be changing rates in the short term or even maybe in, in the medium term, that it's just a case that as we've seen over the last decade, if we're seeing strong levels of money being created and pumped into the system through quantitative easing, that the way to play that is simply be in equities, hold equities and ride out uh, the accommodative, accommodative monetary policy that we're likely to see in the uh, the medium term. I think that's the case. Yeah, that, that's my view totally. I, I think... I think there are so many variables at play, but um, as I said at the start, it is a balancing act. Balancing act, and um, you know, as as companies come off furlough, we're going to see companies go to the wall. The leisure industry, there'll be a lot of casualties in that sector. But then we're seeing strength in uh, resources and energy, um, and uh, new initiatives there. We're seeing new economies emerging, strength in technology, and of course um, in the in the in the crypto and decentralized the world of crypto and decentralized finance, um, so there are new opportunities emerging that will, to some extent, offset the damage that's been or the havoc that's been wrought across um, uh, the the more conventional sectors. So um, there will be weakness in some sectors, strength in others. Overall, I don't expect to see too much change going forward. Um, and believe me, the the, the U.S. Fed and um, and, and the Chancellor here in the UK won't want to see any changes either. They'll be seeking to maintain the status quo for as long as possible. Indeed. Indeed. That, that, that's much the way of my thinking as well. I, I think any any hints of change from the central banks at this point in time will have severe ramifications yep. for financial markets. So my view would also be that they, they stay the course. If they don't, um, things could get interesting pretty pretty quickly i mean we touched on there alan in on uh, inflation 
one of the best ways to to play increased in inflation or uh, you know anticipated inflation is of course uh, commodities. We've discussed in some detail the case for a new super cycle in in commodities. So we won't go into too much detail there around uh, specific uh, commodities. But I think that sets us up quite nicely for the first equity that we're going to discuss today in power metal resources. Uh, one that we've uh, we've touched on previously, uh, Paul Johnson has appeared on a UK Investor Magazine virtual conference in recent months. So a company that we, we do know well and I know a lot of, lot of listeners will be familiar with. But what is the latest updates from them? We've seen a very nice uh, increase in the share price in the last few few days, Alan. What's been driving that? Well, uh, there have been a number of developments. I mean, the great thing about Power Metal Resources is um, it's still a tiny company by any stretch of the imagination in the market that it's in. So with a market cap of about 26 million, um, it's it really is a micro cap. Um, but... Um, as with the larger mining companies, you know, the, the giants like Rio Tinto, Billiton um, and others, they have a vast range of uh, mining projects, uh, both at uh, exploration stage, um, feasibility stage, and then, of course, full production stage. So Power Metal is, if you like, uh, one of those, a uh, Rio Tinto, scaled down massively with a series of projects um, all at uh, pre- at the prelim- preliminary stage. But... Um, it's advancing those those projects well, uh, and I think you know we mentioned Paul Johnson. Of course, Paul is uh, you know very shrewd financially, and he's managed the company finances very carefully. Um, there's a big pot of warrant cash that's uh, come into the company over the past uh, over the past um, six to eight months. Uh, some some two point eight million has has arrived in the company coffers, so it's given the company plenty of uh, funds to uh, to continue the drilling programs that are underway at the various uh, projects and also the uh, to, to buy new licenses and to expand existing territory. Um, so I'm not going to go into detail because we'd be here all day if I spoke about all the projects. Suffice to say, uh, there's a big joint venture with Red Rock Resources, the Red Rock Australasia project in Victoria and Australia. And of course, Victoria project, uh, the, the Victoria Goldfields are, uh, currently uh, very much in focus with investors. Um, there's a hugely profitable mine in the region, the Fosterville Gold Mine, also the Ballarat Gold Mine, and uh, Power Metal, and also, of course, ECR Minerals, another company we've spoken about, um, have interests, licensed interests, all over the, all over the region. Um, we know that uh, Red Rock Australasia, the joint venture between Power Metal Resources and Red Rock Resources, will be spun off separately uh, as a separate IPO, on the Canadian exchange, so that's that's something very much uh, that will add value to the to 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 the uh, power metal coffers when it gets there. Um, we then move to uh, Botswana, where there are a number of projects. Uh, the Ditao Camp Rares project um, that's a that's a, a joint venture there. Um, uh, the Botswana Kalahari Copper Belt project. We had an update this morning. Um, with Kavango Resources, and of course there'll be uh, Kenya Resources, which will spin off um, those interests uh, into another listed venture, um, and uh, and of course the Malopo Farms Nickel Copper Project as well. So Power Metal has all exposure to 
uh, all of the precious metals, uh, all of the precious metal group, and all of the the key base metals that are used in in construction, and of course uh, uh, to, to to power the electric vehicle and the the new um, emerging uh, 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 giga uh, uh, giga battery uh, industry across the world. We then move to Canada. We have um, the Silver Peak project, and uh, the company announced. Uh, on Monday, that it's going to spin off um, the Canada Silver Peak project, which is based in the uh, in the former Eureka Silver Mine, or based in the region of the former Eureka Silver Mine uh, uh, in British Columbia. Um, that will be spun off. Um, Power Metal have now paid up completely for the interest uh, or the the the, the uh, option to increase the interest owns thirty percent of that interest. That will come to market later in the year, also on the TSXV. A cobalt project in Cameroon, another copper and cobalt project in the DRC, in Tanzania. Uh, going back to Africa, we have, uh, of course, the uh, the joint venture with Katoro Gold, uh, the Haneti project, which is a nickel, gold, and platinum group metal project. Katoro Gold owns sixty five percent, Power Metal owns thirty five percent, and then finally we had the US back to the USA. We had the Alamo Gold project. Where the company owns up to seventy five percent, or will own up to seventy five percent, has the option to increase up to seventy five percent once the once certain steps have been taken. Um, lots of drilling underway at, at present. We're seeing assay results coming back. We're we're seeing uh, we're we're seeing further progress. Um, I, I, I'm going to go back to Canada. I didn't mention the uh, the Hemlo Gold project, and this is a project uh, I did a detailed dis, uh, talk on this, of course. Uh, um, on on another channel where we discuss the the Hemlo uh, or the, the Hemlo uh, the Schreiber Hemlo Gold Belt, which is on the north coast of Lake Superior. Um, it's a hugely fertile region for mining. Uh, we have, uh, of course, the Barrett Gold Hemlo Gold Mine there, and Power Metal has acquired four uh, licenses across that region. Um, so very active region, and we're we're expecting to to hear further news of that during the year. So. Uh, you can hear the number of projects that the company is involved in, the amount of interest it has, and it still has a market cap of 26 million. If any one of these projects moves uh, uh, moves to feasibility stage, uh, it's going to dwarf the current market cap. And that's the exciting thing about it. I think at this level, it offers so many opportunities for growth. And it's almost like, it's almost like a, um, a fund of uh, mining uh, opportunities, opportunities in mining. Um, you know, you've got these projects uh, all at various stages um, set to come to fruition, and of course, there's a very in each uh, at each uh, uh, um, project there's a, a very effective team on the ground, a, a a project manager overall that reports back to the the, the central headquarters of, of Power Metals in the UK. So, very exciting year ahead for Power Metal. Um, we, you know, four announcements already this week, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more to come uh, in, in the coming days. So, Andy, you mentioned there um, Power Metal Resources acts as, as a as a fund of, of sorts, investment vehicle for mm. um, mining projects. I mean, do you feel that there is an intention to develop any of these um, projects to the stage that that Power Metal themselves start to earn significant revenue? from production or do you think it's always going to be the case um that the the deal making is going to be the main driver of of the business going forward 
Well, I think Paul's a very shrewd deal maker, as we've already seen. I mean, you, uh, you know, well, it's it's a bit of a standing joke. I mean, Paul seems to work twenty five hours a day, eight days a week. You know, it's um, uh, you know, there is so much going on. But um, I'm sure if a if one of the projects um, presents an easy route to production, he may well look at that. And, and of course. Going back to, I mentioned ECR Minerals um, uh, operating in Victoria and Australia. Of course, ECR had their own drill rig. They they are they have something like four million in the bank, and uh, they have a headquarters in Bendigo, in the centre of Australia. So they can actually go ahead and undertake their own work. Uh, they, they set up a lab at Bendigo. They'll be um, they'll be sort of a, a under, a, a undertaking their own assay work. So they can actually do the whole thing themselves. Um, Power Metal is more of a, of, a, of an investor, but as I say, I, I think I think Paul will assess each project on its merits, and if there's an opportunity to to build a mine, or there's a, there's a quick route to build a mine and get the stuff out of the grain ground, I'm sure he would look at that too. I mean, with, with these projects, and I mean, just just want to take it back now to to the commodity market that we that we were discussing then. I mean, how much? Um, do you feel the share price is influenced by moves and positive and negative moves in the prices of, of commodities? Or is this really uh, a stock that you should be looking at purely for uh, the underlying deal making potential um, value that's unlocked by these deals? Or, or do you still think this is a company that could be played um, by, you know, on, on stronger and hopes of stronger commodity prices going forwards? I, I think it's I think it's a bit of both. I mean, any all of the mining companies are affected by commodity prices to a greater or lesser extent, and um, you know, just uh, just as oil companies are affected by the oil price, um, that that won't change going forward. But the 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 uh, the fundamental and macro backdrop, I think, for commodities with the amount of money that's been spent on COVID and with the amount of money that will still need to be spent. You know, we were talking talking earlier about the, of course, the uh, what the US is spending on uh, on uh, easing and, and, and money printing just to just to keep things or maintain the status quo. Um, that provides if you it's almost a perfect storm for commodities that because they're tangible assets, they have a value and investors in particular in times of uncertainty, uh, or if there's an uncertain outlook, they will turn to precious metals as a safe haven. So certainly for gold and 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 the the precious metals, there's lots of strength and support there. But I think if you then look at the the metals for battery, the battery industry, you know, uh, lithium, of course, uh, uh, copper, uh, nickel, cobalt, all of those, graphite, um, they're, they're all key constituents of batteries going forward. Um, we've got this battery revolution uh, taking place, the um, and of course the EV revolution with electric vehicles. Manufacturers like Ford stating they will be fully electric by 2030. You know, Ford is a massive motor vehicle manufacturer, one of the largest in the world. Um, so that's a, a huge step for them to take. Um, so Jaguar, of course, are going uh, fully electric by 2025. Um, so with all of these uh, these companies changing their production processes, um, sourcing the raw material. Um, if there's any supply squeeze for any of these commodities, and indeed uh, there are expectations that there will be in the com- in the, in the next two to three years, then the commodity prices will rise. So any companies holding those assets will rise will rise accordingly. But um, I think the backdrop, uh, in summary, for 
the mining stocks for the coming years is very strong indeed. Um, and I'm talking, you know, probably up to five, you know, five to seven years. Fantastic. I have to agree that the strength going forward, um, not only due to the potential inflation hedge, but of course, the underlying economic expansion, especially as we're seeing in China, very strong figures we've seen in China um, just this week suggest demand for commodities is going to remain um, stable and uh, increase going forward. So certainly an interesting sector to, to be watching there. Uh, another interesting sector and one that's very difficult to ignore at this point in time, Alan, we're going to move on and discuss now um, the blockchain, Bitcoin um, grabbing headlines still. We saw Bitcoin go through uh, $60,000 uh, just, just recently. The March higher c- continues. I think to some extent this plays into uh, the amount of money that's, that's sloshing around in the system, uh, element of speculation there, pushing prices uh, higher. Uh, but notwithstanding, um, you know, any concerns about that, it's certainly an asset class that, that's growing. And, and we've touched on um, Argo blockchain in, in recent weeks and, and the operations there. But we're going to now touch on Coincilium, Alan. So they are operating within the, the crypto and um, blockchain area listed on the Aquis exchange. What's the, the latest update from them? Okay, so I interviewed uh, Malcolm Palais, the executive chairman at Coincilium, um, and that interview was published, in fact, this morning. So if you go to the brand uh, UK or my Twitter handle, uh, or the sorry, the Novus Comms uh, Twitter handle, you'll be able to see that see that interview. Um, but Coincilium have uh, just a bit of history. They were the first um, ever blockchain IPO back in 2015 on. What was then the ISDX, or it was either ISDX or, or um, Next Next Exchange, and of course it's now the Aquis Market. Um, uh, they are dual listed. In fact, they also have a listing on the uh, OTC venture market in the US. Um, but uh, Coincilium are a blockchain and open finance venture builder, um, and they moved to Brazil um, uh, a, a couple of years ago. The reasons being that um, the there's there's clear regulatory certainty and and uh, and and uh, for, for the group operating there and of course we we know that as cryptocurrencies have developed around the world uh, um, some governments have been fairly anti and uh, it's been a difficult path but Gibraltar has very much created a solid platform for uh, companies in the space to operate so um, uh, Coincilium has evolved. Um, uh, following the IPO, it made a series of investments and uh, some of those were very successful and they've had very solid returns. Um, and uh, the, uh, at, as at uh, the start of February, the uh, crypto assets excluding cash in the company were uh, uh, circa $2 million. And of course, a lot of that was driven by the strength in Bitcoin. But um, the company also holds Rift tokens, uh, uh, as a result of uh, previous in- investments it's made going forward. Um, but it took the decision last summer to pivot the business um, and move into uh, becoming a venture builder in the blockchain and, of course, the non-fungible token space, um, NFTs. Uh, and t- uh, non-fungible tokens, effectively, it's a technology to digitize assets. Um, and if you've been... If you've been 
following uh, you know markets uh, over the past few months, you you won't have failed to have seen some incredible stories uh, uh, coming out of this. Um, so so um, with, with with of course cryptocurrency, we have uh, we, we we've got uh, Bitcoin, we've got Ethereum, we've got uh, Litecoin, Zcash, and uh, and a raft of other tokens that have value out there but uh, non-fungible tokens are a different ball game altogether in that assets such as art music um and uh and uh, uh, uh postage stamps and and a whole a whole range of assets can be digitized and of course using blockchain which creates that immutable record um you've got uh, you've got that absolute uh, authenticity and proof of ownership and, and that really is the difference. So, so Coinsilium have have set up, uh, or there, there, there's a mem- memorandum of, of understanding with um, with, with uh, Endorse, uh, one of its uh, earlier investments, to set up a, a lab uh, and, and technology business in Gibraltar to develop uh, smart contracts, uh, uh, smart contracts for um, for uh, the NFT space. Um, the the company has uh, announced its first deal um, um, at the start of the year, which was uh, a deal with G- the Gibraltar Philatelic Bureau to produce um, a, a crypto counter or a, a an NFT counterpart for a limited edition edition post uh, stamp, and um, uh, through. Uh, through uh, um, uh, a Coincilium and and, uh, and and a payment company based in Gibraltar, you can actually use Ethereum or Bitcoin to actually purchase the stamp. So uh, these go on sale on the seventeenth of May, but I think reservations can be made starting next month. So you can actually buy the stamp with a digital counterpart. It's been done before. The Austrian Post Office uh, uh, pioneered a similar scheme, and that was very successful. So, um, so this is the first step along the road of, a, of uh, what we expect to be what we expect will be a series of contracts building NFT solutions uh, for uh, for companies offering different asset classes. Um, very exciting uh, year ahead, and, and of course, uh, we're going to discuss. Uh, 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 the, the NFT market in a minute, Jonathan. But for Coincilium, um, it's been an incredible two weeks, really. I mean, the company shares were trading um, were trading at two point seven p on December the eighteenth, and this morning they've hit just over twenty p, twenty one p, in fact. Um, and that's largely on the back of the announcement yesterday that, uh, uh, in regard to the uh, the the Gibraltar Philatelic Bureau, the the crypto postage stamp uh, uh, issue. Um, uh, starting starting in May, but um, the company is, is well funded. It has uh, its crypto assets declared at the start of February. As I say, we're just under two million, uh, not including uh, uh, cash in the bank. And then in March, at the start of March, of course, there was a further two hundred fifty thousand raised in warrant exercises. So the company is fully funded for all its activities uh, and and work that's scheduled through to this time next year, which of course is is, is very encouraging indeed. Um, a very strong board. Eddie Travier is the CEO. Um, Eddie Travier is an expert in the in the blockchain uh, 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 field. He launched uh, Seedcoin a couple of years ago, and uh, he uh, he has a, a lot of expertise in the private equity market. And of course, Malcolm Pelle, the exec chairman, has uh, has been he was the, effectively the founder of uh, of Coincilium and has driven it through as ex- executive chairman since uh, 
since uh, 2015. Also interesting to note that Craig Brown, the CEO of uh, uh, ECR Minerals, is on the board as an unexec too. So, you know, Craig clearly sees the uh, the, the the benefit and uh, strength in in, uh, in in this sector. So that so that really is the the investment case I think for um, for Coincilium. Um Currently got a market cap of just under thirty million sterling, but uh, as we've seen, uh, you know, we spoke about Argo Blockchain and where that was a year ago. Um, you know, with a, a market cap, uh, I think uh, in the twenty thirty million pound region, and of course. Uh, Argo blockchain now has a market cap of about uh, 880 to 900 million. So uh, the potential is all there. And indeed, once Coincilium start to make progress, you know, uh, I, I think uh, the prospect for movement um, in uh, over the year is, is very high indeed. Yes, yes. I mean, certainly getting into the, the NFT market is very much going with the trends within um, blockchain at the moment. So uh, going to be a, a company... Uh, to watch developments of uh, going forward uh, this year. So, and as you said, there we'll touch on now on, on NFTs to, to try and sort of expand on the details there for maybe people that haven't um, too much knowledge on on this new area of uh, of the blockchain. Well, when I say when I say new, um, it's it's been going on for for years, uh, but it, it's become popular relatively recently within the last uh, six months or so. So, I mean, with these, I mean, it's, you know, people will be listening to this, um, sort of familiar with Coincilium and an Aquas Exchange. But when we start talking about NFTs, maybe don't have too much in the in, in the way of knowledge there, Alan. I mean, I mean, just to sort of break it down, what, what are the main mechanics behind uh, an, an NFT and how do they work? Well, so, so NFTs, um, it, it, as I said, it's the digitization of a, an asset. And of course, that can be, uh, a video clip. It can be. It can be a piece of digital art. Um, or as we saw uh, last week, um, it solves at a stroke. I think one of the uh, key issues for artists uh, in the music industry. Um, but of course, this can easily apply to to film as well and uh, and other other areas of 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 digital art. But uh, the Kings of Leon, of course, the rock band. Uh, Famously, uh, it was announced and it got a lot of coverage in the press that their new album was to be released as an NFT. And of course, this means uh, uh, with the NFT, um, there's the opportunity to uh, to to purchase a limited edition vinyl and uh, concert seats as well. When, of course, we can all get back and go to rock concerts again. Um, but um, so, so that's one example. And then, of course, uh, the artist people. And I watched a, a video of this guy and he's a, he's a, young, a young fella. He put up, um, he said he got into uh, or he realized what the NFT space was about in October last year. Sold one piece of art, I think, for $150,000, which blew his mind completely. Then sold another piece of art for, I think, three or four million dollars, which blew his mind again. And now he's just sold this, um, this, uh, what is effectively a digital collage for $66 million. I mean, the sums of money are just staggering, but um, I think uh, I think we discussed this earlier. And of course, a lot of people have uh, crypto accounts where may, where maybe they bought Bitcoin or Ethereum a few years ago, and they've got these amounts of money. So they see they see something's up for sale for two or three Ethereum, and don't think too much about the actual sums involved. But um, it is an awful lot of money. So so of course, uh, Beeple has uh, is is um, has has. Uh, done very well from it but um there are so many other examples too i mean we um the um 
uh, Captain Kirk of Star Trek fame, William Shatner, um, of course, decided to grab some of his memories and put them into into NFT format. So his uh, little video clips and clips of film um, can be bought and uh, basically traded like like playing cards or, or Pokemon cards. Um, and you know, there are, I think there are some more down to earth examples too. Uh, my my daughter's husband um, uh, has got interested in the sector and he bought an NBA playing card um, a couple of days ago for five dollars. And uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a clip of a uh, of 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 a basketball being uh, net being scored or gold or whatever it is. So it's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. I should I should know that. Um, but um, but he paid five dollars for it. The NBA still own the rights to the clip, but of course, within the context of the NBA world, if somebody wants to buy it, he can put it up for sale and hopefully get a lot more for it. Um, and again, a colleague of his, uh, an artist that has a big Instagram uh, profile, uh, put a, an early JPEG up onto the Foundation app. Um, and I think eighteen or twenty hours later, certainly within the day, somebody paid two Ethereum for it. So uh, that's of course about two and a half thousand pounds. Yes, I mean, I've, I've dipped my toe into the market more of an experiment than, than anything to see how it works. When you're seeing stories such as the uh, the Beeple one and, and uh, of, of the art sold for 60 million at Christie's, it does raise um, some eyebrows there on, on what's happening uh, within this market. But I mean, Alan, do, do you think this is this is a, a craze that, that that's, um, you, you know, a bit of a fashion um, you know, we've obviously had huge success in in Bitcoin, and um, you know what's the what's the next crypto and, and blockchain asset? And everyone's just jumped onto these um, NFTs. Or, or do you think this is actually something that's here to to stay and will become a fundamental part of of creative arts going forward? We've obviously discussed uh, you know art pieces there, um, d- discuss music. Um, is this something that is, that's mainly for, for speculation or, or could this actually be inbuilt into the distribution of the creative arts going forwards? Well, I, I think it's going to be a key part of it, because if you think about it, certainly if you're a struggling artist, um, you know, let's say you're based in a in a remote part of the country and um, you want people to access your work, but you've got, you've got to travel to show it and this, that, and the other. Of course, none of that matters anymore. You know, you can sell to somebody in Timbuktu who sees it online and, um, you know, they, they pay you in Bitcoin or Ethereum and, uh, you know, the money's there instantly. And and that's what's so exciting for this. It, it's it's absolutely compelling. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think the NFT market is going to be infinitely bigger than the cryptocurrency market for that reason, because there are literally the, the number of applications are almost limitless. You know, there are so many assets that could potentially be digitized um, and and added to this, but I think um, particularly for artists and musicians uh, to, to to an extent as well, because it solves the issue of piracy uh, with streaming music and everything else at, at a stroke. Um, so I, th- I think it it solves so many so, so many issues, and um, the just th- th- there must be so many people that maybe have got involved in art at some stage and probably have old JPEGs or bits and pieces that they did previously. Um, it opens up the possibility that they could sell that and maybe bring in some money that w- that wasn't expected. So, in a sense, they're 
you know, we were talking earlier about the the shortfall in other economies uh, or other areas of the economy, and of course, the high street is 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 on its knees as we know. Um, but this could well be. This could go. This could well go some way towards uh, replacing some of that lost income um, for people that would otherwise have been working in a, in a different career. Yes, yes, and I, I think this is going to be uh, an area that develops, and, and certainly some of the stories that are coming out of uh, the sector and, and and this this new trend at the moment. Um, I mean, just just this morning, Sotheby's have announced they're going to be working with an artist. Uh, on NFTs going forward, this this is seemingly going mainstream. So we'll we'll obviously be uh, uh, updating on this uh, throughout the uh, the year as it as it progresses. So um, I mean, Alan, just just to finish off um, here, I mean, when you're looking at this, um, you know, the, the sort of blockchain, um, and then you're looking at you know cryptos, NFTs. I mean, in your view. Which is is the main story here? Is it the underlying technology of of the blockchain, or is it the um, trading, investing, and speculation of the the assets and, and tokens uh, that are based on the blockchain that most interests you at this point in time? Well, I, I think it's the whole the, the whole um, the the, fun, the principle behind. Uh, the, the whole crypto and NFT space. It, it, it's the it's that decentralized finance, finance the you know, the distributed ledger technology, which effectively means that um, uh, you know in, in a conventional world, uh, you know you go and pay for something, and the message goes to you. So you present your card, instantly goes out to the bank. Bank says yes, that's fine. Um, so so it's one person saying it so with with DLT uh, distributed ledger technology. Um, all of the people involved in that process um, have to give it the okay. So, but it's an instant process, but it's it's very safe um, and it's very very secure. And I think that's that's what underpins this. Um, added to the fact that it is truly global, it doesn't. There are no borders to trade. There's none of that. So, as a, to, you know, just to go back to my earlier example, somebody living in a remote part of of the world. Can speak to somebody else in a remote part of the world and transact instantly and instantly make money, and that's, uh, I think, it's the principle that's going to drive it more than anything else. Of course, there'll be issues along the way, and I, when I spoke about this before, on uh, somebody came through on LinkedIn and we and uh, made a point about the verification of the process and the the uh, the legal the legal aspects, but um, these are all issues that will be resolved, and it's. Uh, I, th- I find it incredibly exciting, and uh, you know, I, th- I think like you, I'm going to have a have a I'm going to have a have a little punt on a, a piece of art and see what happens. Yes, yes, C- certainly an exciting uh, experiment uh, to undertake. I think uh, I think at the moment with what's going on. So, Alan, thank you very much. So, just to, to recap, there um, before we discuss the NFT market, uh, the two stocks that we we touched on today were Power Metal Resources. Ticker POW and Coincilium, uh, ticker COIN. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, Jonathan. So, just as a reminder before we go, we have the U- latest UK Investor Magazine virtual conference uh, this ne- next Tuesday coming up, uh, 23rd of March. 
where there'll be a number of investment trusts presenting. Uh, there'll be AVI Global Trust. There will be the Temple Bar Investment Trust and Vietnam Holdings. So if you haven't yet signed up for that, do check out the events tab on the UK Investor Magazine website where you'll be able to register. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.